fiction, science fiction, horror, fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the house of mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino. John Copenhaver and Al Warren. 106.5 FM Los Angeles. 102.3 FM Riverside. And 105.0 AM Palm Springs. Well, welcome back into the house of mystery. I'm Al Warren. Mr. Dave Martino is here dressing all. <laughs> dressing all. <laughs> <laughs> dress it all, you know. Hey, oh, dress it, dress it all. Oh, I see. Yeah, you know. Come on. I see. It's that again. Remember, I'm yeah. yeah. You're back to the dress. I'm tired. I'm back to the dress. <laughs> you know, it's been a week. Terrible. It's been a crash terrible week. In the system. Yeah, it was just like wow, a lot of work here. A lot of work going on in this place. Um. So what <laughs> what what went on with uh, Super Bowl and Taylor Swift? I know you're a Swifty, right? So. Oh yeah. Oh, of course. <laughs> oh, you know it. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, you don't look as good as she does in the dress, though. No. You've got to stop doing this, okay? Who could look better than Taylor, right? Right, right. <laughs> you don't even watch the Super Bowl, do you? No, I don't. No, but you were just following yeah. her on Twitter just to see what she was wearing. Yeah, me and all the other Swifties. Yeah. yeah. Just hanging yeah. out. And... Yeah, <laughs> doing doing the thing that you always yeah. do. You know. Yeah, she won the Super Bowl, right? Is that I, what happened? I just, I don't know. I'm, people that, ask, and that I works? just, yeah, I just kind of go, yeah, I guess you did, <laughs> you know. And, and, you know, all these events happened, and the Grammy Awards came up and again since you were on, and you don't watch that either, do you? I haven't watched the Grammys in a long time. Well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I even forgot they were on. Yeah, I, I did know. too. <laughs> you know, it's tough when you're, you get, you know your old win. Yeah. You know. Well, you're busy, Al. You're busy. You're a busy man. Yeah, but I mean, I want to see Doja Cat. <laughs> <laughs> Your favorite? Yeah, she's singing her Moo song, and and I, I guess she yeah. wasn't on anyway, so I didn't I didn't miss oh. anything. You know, I was gonna say you could check like YouTube clips and yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, well, it doesn't matter, I guess. <laughs> you know, my Doja Cat. You know, yeah. I'm not a cow. I'm a cat. <laughs> Ooh, Moo. Yeah, that's my favorite song now. Listen, um, so we have got, speaking of cats, <laughs> we have got a author with us today um, and from the Pacific Northwest, and um, the book he's, he's kind of talking about and a lot of other things about writing, so it's called Blackmore, and it's the Blackmore Legacy Book One, and uh, Marcus James is here, so welcome to the show, Marcus. Hello. Well, hello. So what's going on? What's going on in the Northwest there? What's that Pacific Northwest? You know, I used to live in Bellingham back in the 90s. Did you? That's really yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, well, right now I live in uh, Tacoma, Washington, and in the north side of town in this cute historic place uh, called the Stadium District North Slope, and it's very old, very historic, right on the water. It looks like a little coastal town. Um, does not look like any other part of Tacoma, thankfully. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> like you, you, here you can pretend the rest of it doesn't exist. 
<laughs> so it's quite nice. <laughs> we used to always say that when you were driving by Tacoma on the I-5, you could hear the gunfire, right? Yeah. It was yeah. It was a pretty rough part. I don't know what it's like anymore. Yeah, hilltop. But, but, um, it's pr- actually pretty... It's pretty gentrified. It's pretty, um, I, well, I wouldn't even say gentrified, like, because Hilltop is still very much a um, black-centric community, which is fantastic. But they've all worked as a community um, in Hilltop to really change everyone in the Hilltop community throughout the years. Since I want to say starting really in 2017, it really started to kind of turn around and all these really cool restaurants and things started opening. And um, it's now just become a very much like a celebratory open community um, within uh, the city. So it's, it's really great. I would say, you know, Kia boys, the whole, which everyone in every, you know, place in the, united states is dealing with so i'd say that's really kind of what what it is now 21st century is teenagers stealing hondas and hyundais and kias and filming it on tiktok so um other than that um you know it's pretty it's you know it's pacific northwest uh it's not raining right now um it's you know it's beautiful sunny chill not even chilly um, which is, you know, at El Nino this year or whatever. So it's in the 50s. The other day it was like spring and I saw the daffodils blooming and I was like, uh, it's just February. Other than that, um, it's great. Everything's great. <laughs> Let's see what happens when, when the gays move in the area. It gets better, like Capitol Hill. Yeah, exactly, which is where I also I, – I've lived – up and down, like, I've lived in a lot of places, but in uh, 2009, I uh, moved, I had been living in Arizona for a while, and I moved back to Washington and actually ended up moving to Seattle in Capitol Hill. So I ended up living there from 09 to 17 and then moved here. So kind of all over, but my family and my roots um, are, is, uh, I can't talk, is up in Bellingham. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a, it's a good, it's a, it's a nice area. All of it can be good. It can be rougher too at times, but uh, you know, we try to keep Dave locked down. So yes, <laughs> don't let him out. I'm chained up in the chained up in the basement of the the house of mystery. Yeah, that's where he belongs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, in Capitol Hill, I used to. Do you know I was one of the DJs at Neighbors in the eighties? Oh wow. Oh, that's it, but I'm giving away my age. <laughs> Dating yourself. You know, that's, you know, Madonna was new. Yeah. It was like. <laughs> yeah, because they, so, they opened like 82, wasn't it? Yeah, it was early 80s. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's I, I worked out. there. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I, and I didn't, I didn't actually care for a lot of the early music she was doing. I didn't like Like a Virgin and all that stuff. It wasn't until. Vogue and yeah, and for me up until um, you get to Vogue and like a prayer. Before that, I really only like um, getting to get in the groove. Yeah, yeah. From um, Desperately Seeking Susan, yeah, soundtrack. Like I at, as a little as a little as a little gay boy, it was Paula Abdul and like that Madonna song, and then like a prayer because my voice hadn't you know dropped or anything, so I could actually mimic madonna and as a little boy i look i look back now and i'm like why didn't i ever like try to do like madonna drag on america like on a what what was that show um the talent one with ed mcmahon i 
can't think of. Star Search. Um, oh. Yeah, I'm like, I should have gone on there. I should have got, I should have convinced my mom to let me dress up as Madonna, cones and everything, and then go on Star Search because, uh, yeah, before before I hit puberty, I actually could, if I sang a Madonna song, I could actually sound like her. It was quite impressive. That and Mickey Mouse. I, I did a killer Mickey Mouse <laughs> impersonation. Um, you know, yeah, had a crush well, on him, but you know, I was a little. We won't go in there. <laughs> yeah, we're not, not going to touch that, you know. And yeah, Dave was trying to do that too, but you know, that didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, go on Star Search. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that didn't work too well. No, That's, no, no. You know, it's no. confusing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, Ed McMahon, he raises a lot of questions inside a person. <laughs> oh. That's for sure. So, so Blackmore, what yes. is Blackmore about? Like, what is it that you're doing here? It looks like this is book one, so this is a series that you've got planned. So Blackmore, so the entire story of this is sit right back and I'll tell you tale about how I became the fresh prince of a town called Bel Air. Um, <laughs> let's see. Um, so Blackmore is, yeah, I'm really ridiculous. So Blackmore is one of those things where um, I come from what I say is the Anne Rice School of Writing, which is write the book you want to read. Growing up, I had loved Dark Shadows, both the OG series and the 91 Revival. Uh, 91 Revival I saw first, um, and I have to say I it is better than the OG series. The OG Dark Shadows is great. For its campiness and its electric blue taper candles in the 1780s, which, sure, that makes sense. But um, in terms of, like, actual, like, the acting, the cinematography, set to, sets, blah, 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 you know, all the, all the stuff you look for in a good quality show, the, Black, the Dark Shadows 91 revival was that. And it was very gothic and film. It looked like a movie. And unfortunately, Desert Storm was announced five minutes before the series premiere. So the show never stood a chance. <laughs> but uh got one amazing season out of it. Uh, so Dark Shadows influenced me and Rice influenced me. Um, I just always was obsessed with witches. Um, I kind of come from a spooky family. Uh, I come from a spooky place. Uh, Bellingham is Bellingham uh, Old Town Fairhaven, which um, didn't even merge with Bellingham until, like, 1903, because it was just like, we don't want to be part of you. We want to be separate. But it's all these, like, Gothic Victorian and Georgian and craftsman houses and um, old cobbled streets and, you know, um, a ghost story for every house, a ghost for every tree on every corner, we even have the Christmas Eve uh, ghost trolley that goes up Harris on Christmas Eve nights. Just like, so I grew up with all of these things. My family is all kind of intuitive, and we all have our own ghost stories, experiences. And so growing up, that's the kind of stuff I loved. I loved horror. I, I loved uh, magic, witches, ghosts, hauntings. Just that's that's what I was brought into. My my aunt lives in this amazing Vic Queen Anne Victorian that was just so spooky. And every Christmas when we'd gather, I'd go running around looking for Jacob Marley upstairs. And I was, like, obsessed with the Christmas Carol. That was, like, my favorite, still is, because it's spooky. It's, it's, it's ghosts. It's a horror novel as much as any M.R. James. Like, but everything was heterosexual. 
even Lady Anne, who I love more than anything, and her vampires are so queer. But when you got to the Mayfairs, and the, it was exactly like what kind of what I loved because it wasn't, it was so much based in like grounded magical realism. Um, as the series continued, the book went on, like more fantastical things would happen in her Mayfair Witches series. But, um, there was every paranormal, pow- every power that the witches exuded, the way it was described, how it would work was always very subtle. I really liked that. But, you know, that series is very much hetero in a way that the vampires are not. And so once again, it was a story in a, art that I was completely obsessed with but I wasn't reflected in it except for like Julian Mayfair which that's not a compliment (laughs) if anyone's ever if anyone listening has which I'm sure has read you know the Mayfair witches and the witching hour Lasher Taltos Julian is not necessarily a reflect Julian Mayfair is not a reflection that you want to have um, in literature so And then, of course, you know, you get Buffy, which I was obsessed, but, you know, it's a straight girl. I just finally got to this point where I was like, I want to write. I want to write the book I want to read, because if I want to read a book that's gothic and um, a huge scope with a huge scope and intricate woven stories and um, history and family, but also you want to have that kind of more badassness of Buffy Summers sprinkled in there. Like you're going to have to do it yourself. And if I want that, I wasn't, I wasn't the only one who would want a book like that. And so Blackmore is set in December of 2007. And that's actually when the book came out and originally. So this is now fast forward. A second edition has come out, which is why I'm now once again on the promotion train. That's because there have been, there's been another book since book two, Symphony for the Devil, um, which is a huge entangled story. And then a prequel, a two part prequel, um, that takes place in Los Angeles in 1987 and follows the main character of the Blackmore series, Trevor, his mother, Catherine, and it follows her. And she's kind of like my Sarah Connor in the story and Trevor would be your John Connor. Basically I pulled from a lot of my, my nineties references of childhood of all the things that I was just storylines and things and myths that I loved and was like, I'm going to just stick them into one thing. And so I was able to go back with the second edition and kind of tie back in now the expanded mythology, things that I've set in stone since the first book. I was able to have a rare opportunity that most authors don't get to go back and kind of tighten everything back, tighten everything up um, by inserting those threads. So it's the same book that originally came out, but in some ways, a little different in the sense that it just, like I said, now incorporates much more detail of this mythology because I didn't really have it back then when I wrote this book. So Trevor, the main character, he is 17 years old. He's about to turn 18 in Blackmore. And he lives in this town, Bellingham, in this the old fishing port village of Fairhaven. And this is, like I said, this the old town. There's all these Victorians up on South Hill um, that overlook this quaint, you know, 19th century village. And 
he has a, a familiar, um, Jonathan Marker, a spirit familiar who, who follows him. And he knows that everyone in his family all have their own experiences, their own strange things going on, but they don't really talk about it. It's all hush hush. He's kind of left in the dark about it. His, you know, his mom always goes out to this carriage house that is always padlocked and he can't get into. So he just kind of lives his life with this ghost um, who, you know, kind of raises him. And everyone in his family who is not married, who is not born into the family. So anyone who, you know, a parent, you know, in this case, Trevor's father, um, anyone who has inter- has sex with a Blackmore will ba- will die within 12 11 to 12 years of a sudden aneurysm or tumor and um so they're they're a coven of widows instead of a coven of witches i would say they're a coven of widows <laughs> so he just kind of grows up knowing like there's this weird thing about my family the kids he's grown up with um in his town Sherry Hannafin Christian Vasquez and Greg Shear also known as the Golden Gods, and they um, are the most popular students at Mariner High School. They all grew up together on South Hill, were friends with Trevor, and then when they got to middle school and after Trevor's father's passing, uh, shortly they turn, later they turn on him, and they start um, harassing him and calling him, you know, gay epithets and um, just do what kids tend to do when um, they get older. And he just kind of lives in his world. He's, he has one friend, well, two, Braxton Volivarunt, who, along with his best friend J.T. Oliver, are in a band called the Spit Monkeys. And uh, Braxton plays the bass. That's just kind of who Trevor hangs out with. And But when we get into the story, things are kind of coming into motion. There's this prophecy um, that Trevor later learns about the Blackmores that basically says this great, dark, ancient evil, this dark god of the wood, as it's referred, will one day rise up when this curse that kills all these people who, who sleep with the Blackmore, who are not, who are not Blackmores themselves, you know, die if they don't have Blackmore blood in them, will rise up when this curse is over and come wipe out this family. And meanwhile, you have these cruel kids, um, Sherry and Greg and Christian, who kind of just make it a point to mess with Trevor. And they kind of set out on this dangerous liaison to manipulate and draw in Trevor and to ultimately humiliate him. And through the course of all these two things kind of coming together at once, so you have these two, this convergence of these two elements, this overarching evil than, you know, just this more pedestrian, human, teenage turmoil, everything explodes. And Trevor learns the truth about who he is, um, learns that his family, they're not just kooky, spooky people who, you know, live in an old house and own this the company, this company, Blackmore World Corp., which is this huge shipping and industry and shipping, um, shipping, canning, rail industry company that the family has built, um, but that they're all, they're actually, they're witches, and there's this dark god who wants to take vengeance on them for abandoning him 
thousands, like a thousand years ago in Ireland or 800 years ago, something like that. And when a deity is forgotten, when you don't pray to a deity, when you don't offer anything to a deity, when you don't acknowledge the deity, when you don't record a deity's name, it goes dormant. It go, it becomes weak. And the series is basically Trevor learning that he is the chosen one. He is prophesized to be the one to have to save his family, just basically save the world um, from this, like, bloodthirsty god. And this the entire series just is a series where it's going to be, in, in the end, probably, like, seven or eight books. But it's going to – it has – every book has more and more secrets and, like, things that are revealed – or mentioned that maybe, like, in one book, something is mentioned that's not a big deal, like maybe just in passing, uh, a necklace. And then two books down the road or the next book, that necklace actually plays a really important role. Um, and every book is kind of like that. And more and more secrets and more and more history is revealed through. And in my universe, there are basically 13 families of witches and in the end, there's, I mean, there's, you know, but that goes back to ancient um, Sumer and Mesopotamia and Babylon and that there was um, 13 priestesses. And it ties in a lot of, like, the whole myth of, like, gods and, de- and humans having, you know, um, like Hercules, like having, a you know, half god, half man and what that would result in. And so I have it that all the witches of the world are descended from these 13 um, priestesses. And now, of course, over, you know, thousands and thousands of years, there's thousands and thousands of descendants, um, but they can all be traced to these, these 13. So it's a fun Gothic adventure, a fun supernatural Gothic adventure. The most important part of it being that Trevor is an effeminate gay boy like myself and that he is the center and that he's the hero because I really, you know, I feel that that's always a very important thing and something that there's not a lot of representation on. Well, you were talking about uh, Gothic and I'm just wondering what, what's the difference? And we were talking about this a little bit um, uh, before we went on air. What's the difference between Pacific Northwest Gothic as opposed to other styles of, of Gothic and the Gothic tradition? Yeah, so Pacific Northwest got Northwest Gothic. Um, I always like to say it's it's damp, it's mossy, it's a little. I want to say it's a little edgier. It's darker. We when we think of Gothic, we think in terms. We tend to think in terms of just like lyrical prose, lush description. Per, a lot of you know, a lot of purple prose, a lot of uh, a, a lot of. Uh, billowing curtains and and there's like a a romanticism to it whereas pacific northwest gothic is really influenced by our terrain by our um our dark foreboding forests that are so thick and they're not like you know forests in the south or something um they're they're mean they're they're ferocious um you know we produce a high number of serial killers out here i grew up my mom grew up like we have a long the growing up here you basically grow up with constant news of you know a 
bodies being found in, our, in a, one of our rivers or, um, you know, we're having appendages like severed feet wash up on some of our beaches. And that's been going on for a few years. And by a few years, I think like, I mean, like, I think more than a decade. It's so when you read it, it's, uh, it's more foreboding. It's, there's no, like, it doesn't matter if you light a candle to walk down the hallway. You're not illuminating anything. The darkness is too thick. Southern Gothic is very romantic. It's very moss hanging. Um, it's got a, everyone's very colorful. Um, it's a colorful cast of characters in almost a, a jovial way, whereas I feel like they're in Pacific Northwest Gothic literature, you have these, this cast of characters, but I wouldn't say they're colorful. They're a little menacing. Everyone's just a little menacing. And I think that has a lot to do with like sad, you know, uh, seasonal affective disorder. But we, we have a huge problem with that here. Um, we're a pessimistic bunch by nature. And I think that that kind of bleeds into our, our gothic horror tradition, our, thr- our, when you read our mysteries, you read our thrillers, you read any of that stuff. It's, it's just grittier. It's just more looking straight into the darkness of ourselves and others and then just kind of accepting it and living within it. And then you have like the American, what we call like American Gothic, which really is symbolized by the painting and that, and I really, an American Gothic really is a more Midwestern uh, middle America, the grapes of wrath. There is a prime example of something that would be like Midwest Gothic. There is a, it's stark American Gothic literature is, is there's a starkness to it. There's a more open, open, um, nature opens op- wide open spaces, kind of like cold bleakness to it. Then you have, you know, your English Gothic, which is really surmised by the Victorian, Victorian Gothic. It comes to us. I mean, all these forms of Gothic come from the Victorians to begin with. That started, I mean, way back. We think with the Gothic, we think Penny Dreadfuls, we think um, Carmilla, we think Frankenstein, Byron, Stoker. But some of the first Gothic tales um, actually came about in the late 18th century, some of the first Gothic novels. And they, and it was all set in ruins of castles. And that's because, you know, especially the early Georgians, they were really into going to the English ruins and because they couldn't travel because of wars and plague. They couldn't, they couldn't leave England. So it became this whole thing of like, a movement to discover your own, um, to discover your own country, discover the beauty of your, your own backyard, essentially. And so this fascination with the ruins of abbeys and castles really took hold and ghosts that would haunt it. And so, of course, from that, and then the idea, the romantic ideas that those stirred for the people seeing it is kind of where the, we get that gothic literature. So it has its roots in this, like, romance and this, this ooh, and this kind of poetry to it, even as it gets into darkness. Like Carmilla, great gothic novel, 
uh, for people who are like listening who don't know Carmilla predates Dracula. It's written by Irishman Sheridan Le Fanau, and it's a lesbian vampire story. And it's amazing, and it's beautiful, and it's got some chilling moments, but it's very romantic in a very nothing really too bad will happen to you if you keep turning the page kind of vibe to it. And Pacific Northwest Gothic especially is like, I dare you to turn the page. I dare you to close the book because you won't be able to do it, but you may not be able to move forward either. You may just have to sit with it because it's, it's, it's dark. It's dark and we're going there. It's like Degrassi, the next generation. It goes there. Wow. Wow. It's like Dave. Um, so what is it you hope, um, people get, take away from a book like this, like a series like this? Do you have, do you have like a subtext or an intention there? Yeah. So first and foremost, I just want people to like have an amazing time reading it because, you know, I'll go so long without, you know, reading any of them or because usually it's just if I'm writing you know, another book in the series, then I'll go back and reread because no matter how many notes I have, it's, it's never, it's never quite as much as information as I need. So then I'll go back and reread and I'm like, wow, these are really great books. And then I'm always like, I can't believe I wrote this. Um, <laughs> so as someone who constantly forgets that I wrote it, um, <laughs> I will say, you know, it's, they're a fun read. They're, they're, they're just a fun, if you're a, if you love witches and witchcraft and if you love Anne Rice but want it gayer, which yes can can and is often possible, um, <laughs> then um, you know that then you're gonna have this is the book for you and this is gonna you know it's a good time. If you want to read a book where you know it, it is about you know a book about witches, but the witches you know it's a boy witch and it's a gay boy witch and. There's all this, you know, intrigue and mystery. Um, but then it's it's perfectly the book. So on the surface, that would be the first thing is just for people to find joy in in the series and these books and be swept away. But secondly, and most importantly, for young gay boys and gay gay men of any age, but especially like young gay boys, um, especially if you're a, if they're effeminate. You know, it's a brutal place. It can be a brutal place. And growing up is, I don't care how many times people are like, oh, it's so much better now. I mean, if you're a femme, a femme gay boy in school, it's, it's, it's not better. <laughs> it's not. There's this, you, you grow up feeling that feeling like you are powerless or that you, you have a strength or a power, but it's not, but you won't discover it till, college or when you get older you know god willing and i want them i want boys like boys who are like me who are like me growing up to to see themselves and see that they have power and that power is is in who they are that to be open and and to be unapologetically and who you are and to embrace every swish in your step and um, every flick of your wrist um, and every octave of your voice, that that is where your power lies because no one else, the people who are, you know, who, who tease you, who put you down, um, who throw homophobic epithets at you, they wouldn't survive a single 
day. They wouldn't even survive 12 hours in your shoes. And that's an important thing to remember. And, and that being yourself is everyone's greatest strength. And, and of course, I want everyone who reads my books, that's the, the message that I want people to take from Trevor, as that from Trevor Blackmore, is that like Trevor, what makes him special, what makes him the savior of everyone is exactly that thing that makes him different. And it's his courage in being able to walk out the door every day authentically himself that then gives him the courage to face down an undead agent of the dark god of the wood at the end of the novel who's like ripping hearts out of people's chests left and right. And, you know, and I have found myself in that where as growing up, having that courage to be out, especially back in 99, uh, 98, 99 through the 2000s, when nobody was out in school, when teens just weren't but out. I was openly and unapologetically out. I helped start Washington State's first ever gay straight alliance at my old high school in, in my freshman year. And it was terrifying. It was a terrifying situation to all, to, to be that open, to be that out, um, to wear a rainbow ne- a necklace with rainbow rings on it and to have a picture of two boys kissing from XY magazine on my binder. But I had, I knew that my, if I had the courage to not care, then I had a duty to do it because not only was I forcing other people to confront their own biases on a daily basis. And yeah, I paid a price for that often, but it didn't stop me. But on top of that, it was, hopefully giving hope to somebody else who was still in the closet or figuring themselves out and they were scared and maybe feeling really, really alone. And I would always just rem- tell myself that maybe my being out and open uh, and standing up and speaking out, despite everyone coming for, coming for me, maybe that would be preventing this person from taking their own life after school, you know? So, I And because of that, I have found that now not much in life scares me um, because I was willing and always able to live in my authenticity and my strength. Now, as an adult, I don't not I've been in some scary situations in life, but I have found that I I don't wince at them. I actually feel very Buffy Summers about them um, when I have found myself in, in, in questionable circumstances because I had a whole lifetime of training to, to face demons, basically. So I would hope, most importantly, that everyone who reads, reads Blackmore and reads the Blackmore Legacy series and follows Trevor's journey into himself and into his power, that they can do the same. You're, you haven't seen Dave yet. Stress. <laughs> I mean, because that, that nothing frightens you until you see that. Well, I mean, sure. if you let him out of the the basement, <laughs> no, 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 he causes too much damage and hysteria. <laughs> There's more panic there than a, than I tell you. You think the world's ending? Everyone starts running, especially when there's like, a breeze. You do. Yeah, it's just yes. terrible. Stand That's up great. Have a Marilyn yeah. Monroe. Everybody runs. <laughs> yeah. evacuate, a whole, yeah. evacuate a whole neighborhood that way. Yeah, got to keep them chained up. It's happened. That's scary. You know, and then he starts running around practicing karate in front of everybody and is yeah. in, a, in a G-string. Oh, my. That actually makes it <laughs> Make it like Die Hard 2. Robin Redbreast, oh. which was a BBC <laughs> television 
teleplay, television movie um, in the 60s about a woman who moves to a little village. And it turns out it's, you know, it's very, uh, it's a folk horror. So everyone's involved in a pre-pagan cult, you know, a pre-Christian pagan cult in the village. And But there's a neighbor and he does karate in the forest in, his, in nothing but a G-string. <laughs> and then there's one clip where it's like midnight and it's just him walking down a country road in a G-string with nunchucks naked, <laughs> just walking wow. slowly. That, that's where I got it from. That's, <laughs> that's what. That's Dave. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, then I, I'm, I'm pretty sure accurate. You have quite the career, Dave. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's got a YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah. It's called G-string drama. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, please, no, no. I think they took it down. Yeah, yeah. They keep they oh, keep wow. banning him. You know. Well, you know the censors. You gotta you gotta protect you gotta protect the vulnerable children and all. <laughs> well, you gotta protect anybody. anybody. <laughs> oh, the grandma's looking at that. You gotta protect mankind. Yeah. So when you write this stuff, mm-hmm. like when you're writing, how how do you do the dialogue? Are you do you hear your characters? Do you did you see it like a movie, or do they talk to you, or do you just yeah? Yeah. So I'm gonna get very esoteric here. So <laughs> I have they've it's always felt like I call them my boys. I call them the boys or my boys. And they I feel like I'm just a clairvoyant tapping into other dimensions and they're they they it sounds crazy, but yeah, they kind of it's like they kinda of come through. It kind of feels like a channeling. Um and when I first music plays a huge part, I call when I put on music, I create soundtracks to everything. So, and Spotify, I actually have playlists that are public on Spotify that are all the songs that um, I listen to, the playlists I created while writing said book. And so then readers can actually also go onto Spotify and while reading, listen to the music, to all the songs. And so I was just always obsessed with movies and soundtracks and trailers and, and, so obviously that's kind of influenced how they come through. But whenever usually what will happen is I'll hear a song and it could be, I could be at a store and then I'm, you know, whipping out my, my sound, my, um, that thing, Shazam to listen. Oh, I wasn't sure what you were whipping out in the store. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. Yeah, Shazam. No, 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 no. Whip out Shazam oh. on your phone and try to find the music. Or if, you know, it's on pan, if it's on something I'm listening to, see who it is, go and download it. But once I hear a song, um, what ends up happening is while the song is playing, I will go into a trance. This is very, my partner has, everyone in my entire life has actually talked about how great they know. They're like, oh, Marcus is gone. Cause I will literally just freeze. I won't blink. My mouth is usually laxed open. I'm just seeing a scene, whatever it is, whatever's happening. I'm seeing it and feeling it, and it's playing like a movie clip. Like, it's playing like a scene of a movie. And I will, if it's horribly emotional, I will, I've been known to sit on a bus and it happens. Like, I'll be, like, listening to Pandora, and then, like, a song I haven't heard before comes on, and it unlocks something. And, you know, next thing you know, I have tears streaming down my face. And then all I want to do is abandon whatever I'm doing and get back home and start reading. But from there, I just kind of start connecting with the story. I'll smoke some pot, um, light some candles, make it a whole experience, really just kind of figure out 
what happened before the scene, what's happening after, and kind of work my way in both directions, backwards and forwards at the same time. Then from there, I can figure, I I meet them. I meet the main characters who, you know, obviously there's female characters, and but the, the characters that I communicate with are, like, the main protagonist and maybe, like, his love interest. Um, and with the Blackmores, it's different because they're – inspired by family members. So Trevor's mother, Catherine Blackmore, the matriarch, um, who is like everybody's favorite. And she's like every Aaron Spelling badass bitch you can think of. She's that I own 75% of this company. Like she's very like that and beautiful ice queen and a witch you don't want to mess with. And she's inspired a lot by my mother. And then his Aunt Mabel, or Queen Mab, as they call her, she is inspired by my great-aunt Alice and the grand purple Victorian that um, Mabel Blackmore lives in in South Hill is my aunt's Victorian and what, what I grew up in. So every Blackmore is kind of is influenced by a family member in, and then in other ways. But yeah, in other ways, they're completely not that's the family member, right? Like, they're just, they're a seed and then other things come and come and go with the Blackmores. I tend to hear quote unquote from Trevor, uh, from Braxton and from his mother, Catherine, and they're kind of the entities quote unquote, better way to any way to put it beings, I guess, characters that come through and all kind of have their say, but in general, it's usually just like, the main character that brings everyone else with him. And then I, when, you know, when I, I start doing a lot of research. So then I, once I figure out what I'm doing, I'm huge on research. So like for the beckoning one, for example, which is the third Blackmore novel. And that I'm working on right now that has like 67 books for research um, on all various subjects from architecture to food, to, to, History, religion, everything, anything you can think of. And we're talking, you know, huge books. One of them is an art history book that weighs nine pounds. <laughs> like, I went through all, I read the whole thing, and and there's highlights on almost every other page. Like, so I'm huge on research. And through the research, then more and more of the world opens up. And uh, then I just kind of buckle down, and I figure out, too, like, what, for example... I figure out what writing style or genre, voice, whatever the book needs to be in. So, like, with the Blackmore novels, every book, its um, writing style, its language, its its use is a different period in Victorian Gothic or in Gothic literature and horror literature. So, Blackmore, its its language is very much early Victorian. Um, influence. So it's, it's all modern, but the, the influence of how you hear it, how words are used is, is early Victorian. And then Symphony for the Devil, which has a whole section and, and, uh, a story within the story that takes place in 1908. And so Symphony for the Devils, I, I went and read a bunch of horror, not late Victorian, early, you know, Edwardian era horror novels. So novels being written in the late 1890s through 1915. And 
study that language and how people were writing then by that point, because it does change. And so then symphony is written in that, in a style of that. And now the beckoning one that I'm working on now is influenced by horror from the twenties and thirties. So the, the, the lyric, the language, the verse, the, what you hear, um, how sentences, things are put together very much follows that horror style of the twenties and thirties. And then, um, the uh, Nephilim books, Rise of the Nephilim and Fall of the Nephilim, the two-part prequel that follows Catherine's mother um, when she's 27 years old in Los Angeles um, in 87. Uh, that, uh, I read a lot of horror, um, pulp horror, from the 80s. And once I absorbed enough of that tone, then I sat down and wrote the book. So it has, I, I think, it's just something I like to do. I think every every book should kind of have its own it always has its own unique style, voice, atmosphere. And I've always just been fascinated with the progression of um horror's tone. So I just kind of set out to be like, well, the series is gonna have like seven or eight books in it, so why not have every have each book reflect a different point of style in horror, you know, gothic um literature. Well listen. How do, uh, do you, do you, you do social media and do you have a website and how do you like, uh, readers to interact with so, you? So, um, I have a website market. It's, uh, you know, www. marcusjamesbooks.com. So I know I have, you know, my, my gay lisp. So, um, that's Marcus James, J-A-M-E-S, Marcus, M-A-R-C, as in Charlie, U-S as in Sam, Marcus James, and then books, B-O-O-K-S as in Sam, dot com, MarcusJamesBooks.com. And then on Instagram, I'm at MarcusJamesAuthor. On Facebook, my fan, I have a, the, you know, fan page, official page, um, and that's at capital M, uh, capital J, books. And then obviously you can find my books anywhere. <laughs> yeah, well, fantastic. Now, of course, we're going to have all of that up on our website, and uh, so people can find you. You know, if they don't see you in the old Navy, you know, going into a trance crying, um, they can pick up your book. I appreciate you being here. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been a it's been a fun time, and really, please let Dave out of the basement. He deserves a chance yes. to shine and sparkle. <laughs> No, we're not going to out ever. <laughs> You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This is the introduction of something with media. I'll be back.